Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by thatleisureshop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. And we're here every week in audio and in vision to give you the very best of advice, whether you've got a motorhome, a caravan, or you just like camping out. Indeed. Well, we try, don't we? We do try, and to some measure we have been successful with record downloads, and thank you very much. And of course, we are award winners as well. We are double award winning now. We've got two trophies. One's on the way, Keith. I'm going to bring it in soon. You can polish it in the studio very soon. I will, because I can't take it home. Matt gets to keep all of them (laughs) on his uh, wall of fame at home. Bedside cabinet. (laughs) <laughs> next to the picture of you it's all brought to you with that leisure shop.com so uh, let's start off uh, this podcast with what's new in the shop lots of things arriving for the season it's been exciting we've got this great new product have you heard of the sea uh, gear sand free mat the sand free mat no, the- no my, my wife does call me a sand magnet when we are on the uh, on the beach has it got anything to do with that it could be so you know when it, when you put a mat on the beach what do the children and the dogs do immediately they run across it don't they yeah well these mats you you sprinkle dry sand on them and it just disappears through the mat it's, it's incredible it's really clever technology. There's been lots of them around over the years, but these are the original sand-free mat. They were invented in Australia for the military. So did you know that helicopters, when they land on sand in the desert, or anywhere that's sandy, they get sand into the engines and it kills the helicopter, they crash. And there were hundreds of helicopters getting these sand-out disasters. So the military pegged out these mats next to each other so the helicopters could land and there would be no sand coming up from the ground into the helicopter. And so this company have taken this product and they're selling them into the leisure market. You put them outside your camper van or on the beach and... Any sand just disappears through the mat. It's incredible. You stay sand-free. And I understand, Matt, that they don't kill the grass. No, that's right. So the guy we buy them from, who has imported them into the UK, local chap, he said he went on a fishing trip for five days and put one down on the grass inside his tent and placed on the mat a cool box. And he was there for five days fishing. And when he packed up to go, there was no mark on the grass except where the cool box had been, a tiny patch. Normally, you'd expect the whole patch to be brang. The grass had died. So I think campsites are going to love these mats because there's nothing more annoying when you leave a campsite for a campsite owner. You've got all these brown patches where people have been pitched out for a week, you know, and they've killed the grass. It's not very welcoming for the next family. So I think these are a game changer for campsites. And they're not expensive either. So, yeah, go and check them out on thatleisureshop.com. Uh, we've got them in stock. A range of colours. Orange, of course. <laughs> Of course. Uh, and we've got blue or green and tan. So there's a, yeah, there's a whole variety there. We're taking them to the shows and we're demonstrating them with um, play sand. And it, they are really clever. Really, I love them. And they're called the sand mat. Sand free mat. Yeah, from Seagear. Sand free mat. Okay. <laughs> Remember when, when you look it up. 
Let's delve into the news right now then, shall we, Matt? The Downs, uh, up here around Bristol, we've got uh, quite a lot of van lifers, uh, not people uh, who are just doing it uh, as a hobby, but really are living in their vans. And uh, the Downs in the middle of Bristol are a large green space and open to the public. They've been in the news. Why is that? Uh, Well, because they're being told they've got to move on. So the uh, green councillor, local councillor, has told them they're going to have to move. So she's trying to get them moved away on the grounds that they've got gas bottles there, which are considered a danger to life. Uh, So there are a number of gas bottles. There's pictures of them outside of uh, a caravan. Well, hang on a second. Gas bottle. Everybody's got a barbecue who's got a gas bottle, haven't they? Uh, So you have rows of uh, terraced houses uh, with barbecues at every house or every other house, and they've got gas bottles, and they're not considered a danger to life, are they? Uh, No, they're certainly not a danger to life. And I have to be honest, I think they're barking up the wrong tree with this. I think the the danger would be if people were smoking around the gas bottles and the gas bottles were leaking. That would be the danger. Uh, Caller's gas distribution centre is not, you know, there's risks there, sure, but it doesn't blow up. Uh, So I think there's an underlying issue here. I did approach... Uh, the Green Party and and Paula O'Rourke specifically and asked her to engage with me on this topic and I've not had a reply sadly. So Paula if you're listening we really would love to talk to you about this and have a conversation about why do these van lifers need to move on uh, and what's going to be the knock-on effect of this? Where are they going to live? What is the real issue? I honestly don't think gas bottles placed outside of a caravan or motorhome are a reason and a risk and why they should move on. Well, there's either a law saying you can't park your van on the downs in Bristol or you can't live permanently in it or you can't have a gas bottle outside of it. It's a law, but if it's not a law, it's an excuse and health and safety is used as an excuse uh, many times. I remember doing lots of interviews on the radio and you'd, they'd, come, they'd say health and safety. And I'd say, exactly which law is that then? Hmm. And of course... They were making it up as they went along. Yep. Uh, so, you, you know, they're either breaking the law or they're not. Now, I'm not particularly in favour of them doing what they're doing or, or against it. But if the councils have the powers to move them on, just move them on using existing laws. Maybe you live in a van through choice or maybe not through choice. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, this is a national story. This you know, We're focusing on the downs in Bristol where there are lots of van lifers living and they have been for what over 10 years now haven't they yes a long time why is it suddenly an issue are you one of them uh we've tried to find people that live there but it's hard to find people and have them willing to to come and talk to us uh we have had people approach us that were in exmouth as well and we've gone back to them but we're unable to engage with them again so if you're living in your van in a city somewhere and you're being told you need to move on will you talk to us and if you're on a council somewhere in the country and you've got a group of van lifers living in your city and you want them to move on, will you talk to us? Why? Why can't they live there? And where should they go? This is a lifestyle that many people are choosing to have. Some are not choosing, it's circumstance. But this is a growing lifestyle. This is a growing group of people. It's a growing community nationally. 
and we need to embrace it and understand what's going on here. And we have to distinguish here between the travelling community, which culturally uh, have uh, lived in caravans and travelled around the country, and these van lifers who aren't travellers uh, but are living in vans instead of houses. It's 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 a new category of van lifer, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the, the travelling communities have rules in which they live within, don't they? They have areas of land dedicated to them where they can build their community uh, and they can reside. And van lifers can sort of stay anywhere, really, and they just park at the side of the road. I guess the only rules they have to comply with is that the vehicle they're in is taxed and MOT'd. Um, you know, what's the underlying story here? Do you reckon we can get to the bottom of it? Is it about money? Is it about council tax not being paid? We'll have to find out, and we will find out for you. Uh, also with Exmouth Lorry Park, we've mentioned this in a, a couple of previous uh, podcasts, an old lorry park in Exmouth was being refurbished and some van lifers uh, moved in uh, to live in uh, their vans, weren't doing anybody any harm, and they've been asked now to move on. Elliot got in touch with us, and we've been trying to track you down, Elliot, so we can do that interview uh, with you. We are keen to have you on the podcast, so please get in touch. Yeah, Elliot's a keen listener. So, yeah, we would love to hear back from you, Elliot. So uh, where should he get in touch to? Uh, Elliot's got my mobile number. So uh, we've had a WhatsApp conversation. So uh, I'd love to hear back from you, Elliot, please. Absolutely. So, Elliot, please get in touch. It is the Motorhome Map podcast brought to you with that leisureshop.com. Uh, today, Ford Future Vehicles is what we're concentrating on uh, in the main part of the podcast. And you've been talking to somebody, Matt. Yeah, we've had our now a good friend of the podcast. Ryan Bowditch has been in the studio. Ryan is uh, head of leisure vehicles for Ford Pro across Europe. So he's the guy who's in charge of the Ford chassis that get given or sold to the motorhome converters to make a motorhome on. And as an industry, we've seen a huge growth in the number of Ford badges on the fronts of our motorhomes. And I asked Ryan a little bit more about that. Uh, and it's great to have him on the podcast because... The relationship between Ford and a motorhome owner is normally a bit is interrupted by the manufacturer. There's Ford are very much a B to B, a business to business operation in this sector. So for for Ryan almost to put his head above the parapet and come and engage with us as a consumer podcast, I think was a real privilege. So I asked Ryan more about Ford's future plans for the leisure sector and particularly motorhomes. Today I want I wanted to pick your brain a bit more on the future of Ford. Because Ford are growing in our marketplace at a significant mm -hmm. rate. We're seeing more Ford badges on the fronts of our motorhomes that we buy, particularly the coach-built ones. Um, so it'd be great just to delve into your crystal ball. I get told off for saying that. Um, <laughs> and just tell us a bit more about Ford's future. What's great, though, as a listener, we're very much a consumer podcast. Ryan is very much behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Can I call you that? Yeah, that, I think that's absolutely fair. So my, my typical day job um, involves working with the with the, the converters in this space, right? So the large leisure converters, not only in the UK, but all around um, Europe. So household names such as Trigano, the Irwinheimer Group, Rapido, and in the UK, Swift, Bailey, Autotrail, obviously part of the Trigano Group. But my, my day job is working um, with them and not necessarily with the um, the end customer because no. the, the end customer is, is the converter's customer. Well, that's right. And there's normally between us, the consumer, and you, Ford, mm. there's a motorhome manufacturer.
manufacturer in the way, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. So it's really good to get your voice talking to us directly, sort of bypassing the moto manufacturers and just getting an insight into what are we in for from Ford? Because as I say already, we're going to see more and more yep. Ford product in the market. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So let's just start with the Transit Custom. Mm. Just define that for <clears throat> us. Here, what is that van? Would you, are you prepared to compare it to another product? Uh, yeah, if I have to, uh, I'll be careful which one I choose maybe, but, um, yeah, so, um, and transit custom is really exciting for us because we're launching, um, an all new one, uh, imminently. Um, but for, for the, the viewers out there, the audience out there, transit custom, you can think of it as a, what we call a one ton size vehicle. So it's typically the, the smaller sized van, which other OEMs out there, such as, uh, the Volkswagen, um, transporter. You or said the, it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you swore. <laughs> So it's a typically a pop-top camper van, isn't it? Yeah, pop-top camper yeah. van is, is typically what you'll see that, that size vehicle be converted into. Yeah. So Absolutely. we've got the Transit Custom, so we'll talk about that some more. And then we've got the Transit itself, which is what our coach-built motorhomes are built on. So what are we in store yeah. with the Transit Custom? Transit Custom uh, launching um, end, of, uh, end of this year, end of 2023, basically an all-new product. Um, so we've had our existing transit custom out there for about 10 years um, now. It's done you know, fantastically well, and it, it was the, the time to basically launch a, an all-new product in, in that segment. So it's coming shortly, um, but it's, it's also really exciting for me specifically as a, as a, a camper donor type product as well. And what's new about it? Everything, um, but to just drill down into a, into a few specifics. So um, the, the fact that it's... Um, uh, design developed from the ground up new vehicle architecture so things like it's it's lower to the ground you know simple things it's lower to the ground makes it easier to get in and out of we've cleaned up the interior cab space of the vehicle at the front so for example it comes with standard features such as electronic parking brakes um, and also it's got a, 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 a different shifter mechanism and all of that stuff means that you clear up that space in the cab so as you can walk across, walk rearwards in the vehicle, move around in the cab a lot easier which is great specifically for mm-hmm. a camper product. As well as that it comes um, with things like a uh, a 13 inch touchscreen um, infotainment system bringing it much you know much more in line with what you'd see in sort of uh, high-end passenger vehicles today right so we're all getting used to in our cars um, big screen technology yeah. shall I say and now you're going to be seeing that also in the in the commercial vehicles what's really exciting I think specifically for the leisure industry is that the way we're thinking about um, uh, the camper industry and that we have internally at Ford now what we call a, a camper donor product so before I think it's fair to say that um, camper conversions could have been a little bit of an afterthought so Mm -hmm. for sure we were supplying vans or combis um, to the converters but there was a lot of potential inefficiencies in doing that one of the things that we we did as part of this development is go around and have a look in um, the converters skips see what parts they were thrown away nobody (laughs) wants to throw away parts right really inefficient bad for the environment bad for your business um so we said okay let's learn from that and let's make a more bespoke donor product for this so industry. what does that mean rotating seats trim remove from the back yeah absolutely yeah so all of kind of those essentials you want to get as a as a uh, as a bodybuilder as a converter so absolutely swivel seats passenger and driver must have for um your your camper uh, removed trims in the back is an option so if you're going to do what I think of as like a California kitchen layout down yep. one side of the vehicle of course you don't need any 
vehicle trims down that side, right? You no. can, you're going to take those out and throw those away. So you can get that in the base vehicle. Um, it's just a few few little examples. So does the, does the new customer have one sliding door? So you've got an option okay. as to whether you want one sliding door or dual sliding doors. Um, of course, depending on what layout you do in your vehicle. There's lots of uh, different configurations that you can get. So I'm hoping we're going to see a lot of uh, variety out there in terms of... So will layouts. it be, is the option for a near side sliding door in the UK? So left hand side? What we do is that in the UK, we always, if we have a single side low door, as we call it, we always make sure that that's on the curb side okay. um, of the yep. vehicle. Um, we unlike VW. Yeah, unlike VW. And, and that's, um, and that's a, a bit of a Ford philosophy. We've got a... Uh, I would say, an extra emphasis on um, customer safety. Right. Um, and so the, the thing for us is that we, you know, we don't want our customers in the rear potentially having to step out into, into the road. So and rear doors, they're going to be, an, is it an option for split barn doors? We've gone predominantly with a, a tailgate style on the Camper Donut because yeah. that seems to be the most popular um, conversion type out there. I think, again, if we look at the product today, there is products with barn doors, and mm -hmm. they're the ones that have typically been converted from a van-based product. Yeah. But the feedback I get from converters from the customers is tailgate yeah. is, is what they're after. Now, I'm only going to touch on this. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. But the good news for Volkswagen is that their new transporter is a Ford Transit, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't warn you I was going to mention it. No, I know, it. yeah. No, you know, this is a, an interesting subject, shall we say, and one, one I'll try to avoid getting into hot water with. But, um, yeah, it's fair to say that Ford and VW have been, um, you know, uh, announced we've entered into an alliance. The, the, you know, the next generation um, one-ton cargo van, as we've called it in the press yep. for VW, will be um, based on a Ford architecture. So, yeah, we're, you know, we're really excited about that alliance. I'm sure there'll be lots of information coming from VW on that. It's interesting because the consensus here is that the T6, you bought one now, mm. so pure VW will go up in value because it's the last thoroughbred Volkswagen. So for those who are VW purists, they'll want the T6 because they don't want a Ford. But it's one to watch, isn't it? You can't deny the um, the, the history that um, Volkswagen have got in um, no. in this camper space, right? They've got many, many years of fantastic products out there. So yeah. we're always looking at the competition, seeing what they do, seeing how we can do better. You know, and of course, in the world of campers, we're, we'd be looking at someone like VW. The Transit Custom, then, is the new one is diesel. Mm -hmm. But there's other versions coming as well. We've got Diesel, Fev and Bev. It sounds like a girl band. <laughs> yeah, abs <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. Talk us through the three options and when are they happening? We've got a diesel version and so there's new capability with that as well. So, for example, we've got a diesel all-wheel drive. For a camper van? If you want it as a camper van, absolutely. Right. So okay. if you're doing a bit of off-roading uh, in your camper, that's, that could be a good option for you. But as well as that, in the not-too-distant future, um, early next year, we'll be looking at um, the Bev uh, which is the fully electric, vehicle. battery electric vehicle, yeah. and then we've got the, the PHEV, the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle as well. So we've got a full range of, of powertrain options out there. So it's interesting that you've done a van on a FEV, mm. so the plug-in, the hybrid. We know about these rules. In 2030, all vehicles mm -hmm. have to be you know, minimum uh, able to travel a, a distance, which yep. is, I think that the industry accepted length is 80 miles. Yeah. The customer's not quite there, though, is it? Because the FEV does how many? What thirty miles on electric? Yes, yeah, so I think um, I think at the minute they're they're still working through their uh, official calculations, should we say? But I think it should be in excess of thirty miles fully electric. So the the system used in the new Transit Custom PHEV is the same as what we have in our Cougars today. Right. So if you're familiar with a Cougar. Um, so that's PF. petrol then, petrol and electric. Yeah, absolutely. So we've gone back in time, we've gone back to petrol vans. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's one, one way to look at it, yeah. But back in time to one extent, but of course, um, 
hybrid um, with hybrid technology, right? So cutting edge hybrid technologies that we'll, we'll be familiar with from from passenger vehicles, which is great. Um, yeah. And just to say, so I drive around in a Cougar um, hybrid today. Um, my journey to work is uh, about ten miles. Um, 10 miles there, 10 miles back, so I can do all of that electric, um, yep. which is something you could consider in... So the market then for the transit, transit custom as a camper van, a FEV, is mm. going to be someone who lives in the city in a low emission zone. This is going to be exempt from a penalty for driving it in. Is that is that the market you're aiming this at? Yeah, well, the um, the, the, the legislation, I think, changes all the time. So, well, um, yeah. yeah, as to whether it be exempt tomorrow, who knows? I think, for me, the, the plug-in hybrid is, is a great balance, right? Because if you're someone who wants to do longer distance journeys you've got that capability yep. through using your your, your, your petrol side of um, things um, but if you want to be able to do a number of miles fully electric say because you might be using this as your daily commuter as an right. example like I do with my Cougar then you can absolutely do that and of course if there's areas that are, are restricting vehicles to be zero emissions only then there's, of course, then the potential that you could use the, the, the plug-in hybrid for yeah. that as well. And hybrid's a great stepping stone, isn't it? We've got a hybrid car. It's a Toyota Yaris. It's our second one. And that's our, that's our kind of runaround car. Less than a year ago, I was pretty anti-EV, I have to say. Where we live is very remote. Having a charging mm. point at home is really difficult. I don't drive anywhere near an electric charging point. Mm. Well, I didn't. I do now, oddly. But I'm a bit of a convert. I love a hybrid. And I love watching that monitor on the screen of when I'm on battery. And it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. And then the little petrol engine kicks in. It's like, oh, no, slow down. (laughs) So it's it's educating me on how much energy I'm using, how I'm driving. And I actually think a hybrid car is a really good educator and a great transitional step to convert someone like me, who's a bit of a petrol head, and, you know, I love my diesel motoring, but actually I can see there is a future for EV in yeah. our little sector. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been a good educator for me. So let's let's go to transit. Yeah. So this is the two-ton van, you call it, don't you? Yeah. Um, this is what we see motorhome, coach-built motorhomes being built on. What's the future for transit? Transit, we've got um, not only our chassis that we provide into the industry for, for motorhome conversion, but there's also a, uh, a growing market of um, panel van conversions out there so it's a more camper van but in that bigger size um, so today already we have e-transit available there's plenty out there at the minute and in fact just uh, as recently as last week there was an asda uh, supermarket delivery vehicle around the corner from me dropping off groceries with its e-transit um, yep. unit so that was great great to see i think it's fair to say that um you know in terms of the leisure segment, e-transit is probably going to be a, uh, you know something that takes a bit of time to gain traction. So we are seeing now that there's... Um, you mean generally or in our market? So in, in the leisure market. So e-transit's great in terms of things like last mile delivery. So those supermarket guys, right? Again, yeah. I mean, they, as you say, they're carrying apples and pears. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> well, they can still be quite heavily loaded. But the right. thing is that they do um, relatively low mileage, right? So yeah. you, you see the things going around all the time. You think they do big miles but they don't they stay to quite a small area and they might only do 50 miles in a day um an e-transit is absolutely perfect and um, what the range of an e-transit is what 130 miles we quote our wltp um (laughs) figures uh but uh, wltp i think is about 190 um but it's fair to say then when you when you load that up with a camper conversion which is a lot of weight right you're putting a lot of weight in the back of the vehicle you basically run it fully fully loaded um, the the benchmark I like to use there is Winnebago, yes, um, out in America. in America, who who did a e transit conversion, and I think they were typically seeing something about 130 miles, which is not realistic, not really, is it, for a motorhome owner? 
It's yeah, it's it's uh, it'll be very niche, right? Again, of course, yeah. all depends on what you're doing with your motorhome. But yeah, I'm I'm willing to admit that it's it'll be quite a, a niche thing in this segment for for a period of time. But the future is exciting for e-transit in our market because a manufacturer has already converted one, so Bursner. Yeah. Uh, launched in Germany last year in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they brought it to the UK this year. I mean, apparently they had to take all the batteries out when they converted it because they were paranoid about something blowing up. Yeah, that's just not viable, <laughs> though, is it? Well, and and this is this is um, the thing about e-transit being out there today is it's giving the um, converters the opportunity to learn, which is yes. really important because as you know, we know this is coming, we know it's happening. Um, but they can't all um, learn the the towels here all at the last minute. So they're they're, get, they're buying the vehicles now. They're performing conversions on them. Their engineers are gaining the knowledge that they need to gain in terms of what's different versus a diesel. Yep. And then they'll take that forwards as they as they start to produce these more more widely. It's relatively niche at the minute. We'll see a handful of prototypes out there for a time being. We might see a few more than that in the in a few years. Let's let's see and hope. And then really for me, I think the big the big stepping stone will be what comes maybe more into the future. So version one. So very close to home, Bailey of Bristol have had an e-transit and have converted it, haven't they, into a camper van. In fact, we've just seen it launch in the press. It's a prototype, so you can't actually buy it. Mm -hmm. But they've had it, and it's back with you at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had effectively 10 e-transit prototypes that we handed out to a number of converters. Um, and that was all about getting them on board with the process, um, helping them to understand uh, how to convert on an e-transit and also then getting feedback back to, to Ford on that. So Bailey was selected as one of those um, partners. We were keen to partner with someone in the leisure industry. They have done an e-transit um, van, panel van conversion, which is great. We've had that back at Dunton just recently. We've had the team pouring over it. Um, we had a great presentation from the Bailey team. They'd put a lot of thought into the conversion, um, specifically around things such as sustainability, because again, that's you know really important part of the e story, should we say? It's not mm. just about the vehicle, but it's about everything else and making sure it's sustainable and good for the planet. Yeah, it's a prototype, but again, it's all about them learning how to convert on an e donor as opposed to something else. So, as again, in the future, when this becomes more prevalent. They've got that capability, that knowledge there. They're ready to go. As well as that, it's about putting out a message to the industry, right, that this is coming. Mm -hmm. Here it is. Bailey have done the work to, um, to, to get the learnings here, but now it's up to everyone else. So is it fair to say then that Bailey are the first UK manufacturer to build a camper van on an e-transit? Yeah, absolutely. They're the first in the UK. As you mentioned already, um, we had the uh, the one from Burstner, yep. which we saw last year. But yeah, um, Bailey first, UK homegrown e-transit um, camper van conversion. Fantastic. And they are taking it to the NEC show, aren't they, as a prototype to say, we're embracing this change. It's coming. Come and have a look. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'll be at the NEC, so we're hoping to get lots of engagement again, and to yeah. get the get the the potential end customers' viewpoint on this. Right? What's you know, does it work for them? What doesn't work? What do we take away from that? And how do we then roll that into a, a future product? So that's the NEC show in October this year. So we'll stay tuned, and we'll be looking out for that definitely. Ryan, you mentioned that this camper van conversion from Bailey is at your base in Dunton. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and you've invited us to come and have a go in it and come and see it. Is that is that okay? Can we yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As long as you don't mind the drive and can suffer the M25 round to um, our <laughs> home in uh, in Dunton in Essex. But yeah, would absolutely love to to have you there. We'll show you around the vehicle. We'll show you a little bit of what Dunton has to offer, and we'll see if we can get you a drive around the test track as well. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Well, let's do that, and we'll see if we can get an appointment in your diary to do that next week. For you, Ryan, the future is really a massive learning curve, isn't it? We talk about a bell curve, this kind of initial early adopters taking the product and then it becomes mass market. Yep. But it, it's all very unknown for you as a manufacturer and you're, you're on this real massive journey. It's an exciting time to be alive, isn't it? But what is Ford's strategy as we go into the next decade and next 30 years? Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, you know, within the leisure industry, I think Ford has been been growing now for a number of years. I mean, historically, we've been, um, I think, in about seventh position um, as an OEM within the industry. Uh, of course, uh, Fiat number one dominating for many many years you know something like 60 or 70 percent market share i think it's more than that yeah quite possibly and and of course you know within the two-ton um segment that is but mm. um of course times have changed for various reasons supply constraints etc but um ford are you know serious about getting into the leisure industry we've got great products out there now we've got great partnerships with converters all around europe and you know in the uk as well of course and they've introduced this thing you call an anchor customer Mm. what's that the key thing is that as we move forward with the development of new products we want to as early as possible get the feedback from our converters from our customers to make sure we're on the right track and the great thing is is that you know for our some of our future products we've already been working with um, experts in the leisure industry again to make sure what we're doing is suitable for leisure specifically as well as other industries get their feedback now whilst we can still do something in the in the product development cycle take the feedback on board and make changes when and and your view of the world is european wide isn't it it's not just the uk you're responsible for leisure vehicles from ford across the whole of europe yeah that, that's absolutely right i've got um i've got colleagues and customers that i work with in france in germany in italy spain so it's it's focused around four or five key markets in mm. europe um, where we operate, but um, yeah, very much European based. Well, we love the fact that you're here in Britain flying our flag across Europe. That's fantastic. Now, the future we're very much feels a little bit like we're being railroaded into a world of electric vehicles. Mm. Can I say that? Uh, the UK government certainly has almost written off, it seems, mm. every other source of power. And we are being a little bit forced into this EV corner. I feel. And I know lots of our listeners agree with me. Mark in Bristol, so local to us, asks a great question. I'll read it to you. Maybe you can come back to us on it. He says, the EV is a good concept. Once it's on the road, how are the manufacturers going to offset the building of these vehicles? They're going to need a good bank of batteries, etc., which creates more harm long term to the environment. They have to be mined and manufactured, and then once used, cannot be recycled. Maybe the manufacturers should look to hydrogen technology like JCB. Yeah. What's Ford's kind of view on hydrogen? We know battery technology is evolving from lithium. We know there's sodium technology coming, but where are Ford in all of that future? A timely question because it was just this week that um, that Ford announced uh, a study on hydrogen fuel cell technology. Um, so that's working with um, the, the Advanced Propulsion Centre. 
I think the point being here is that all our eggs are not in one EV-sized basket, right? Okay. We know there's, we know there's um, different options out there um, for future propulsion. EV is one of those. Hydrogen fuel cells is another, and there's others beside that as well. And we're, we're keeping our minds open, right? So that's why we're doing the study, to see the benefits, to see if it makes sense, and to see if that's something that we put into um, more wider production going forward. And, of course, the, there's all about infrastructure as well, which is a whole, you have no control or influence, mm. partic- not directly over that. But, you know, Ford starts investing hugely in hydrogen, then, you know, the hydrogen infrastructure to, you know, dispense... Yeah that fuel will start to grow, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's it's not just hinged on, on what Ford does, but more what the, the wider automotive sector does. So yeah. um, again, I think it's fair to say other OEMs, again, are looking at various technologies. Some are more into perhaps hydrogen-based solutions, others EV. There's a range there. So be interesting to see what the future holds. And are Ford looking at synthetic fuel, so e-fuel as it's often referred to? Yeah, so again, that's a, another interesting one because just relatively recently we announced uh, working with uh, a very famous F1 team called mm-hmm. Red Bull. Um, F1 are very much looking into the future of sustainable fuels. And again, that's another example of where Ford are, are, are partnering to get engineering information, learnings from you know another segment, motorsport, that can then potentially flow back into um, more mainstream products. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us here. Thank you so much for visiting us here in our little corner of North Somerset. Having a glance inside your head has been fascinating. Fantastic. Uh, really great interview. And remember, you can see it on our YouTube channel as well. Yeah, and stay tuned for this future episode. I'm really excited about it. The e-transit is definitely here to stay, and we are undoubtedly going to see it in the motorhome world so you will get a sneak preview it with us so we're very excited to go and find out more about that it's the motorhome map podcast uh, brought to you with that leisureshop.com with me keith gooden and i'm motorhome matt my favorite part of every podcast our audience q a where you get in touch with us and hopefully we give you the answers that you're seeking dave got in touch Hi, Matt and Keith. Well done on the podcasts. Uh, Dave here from just down the road in Taunton. And the question relates to external whale water port adapters. Just buying an Adamo 754DL, first van that I'll have used with a whale adapter. Uh, Don't understand why Bailey need to have the whale adapter. So if you happen to know the answer to that, it would just be interesting. Uh, But more importantly, with a whale adapter, can you actually get an adapter to attach that to a blue food grade water hose and just fill it normally from a tap as there seems quite a bit of confusion around this secondly there's talk of using an onboard pump activated by the control panel in the adamo to onboard water and my question is why and do you have to use that pump because it would be a lot easier just to fill it like normal with a normal hose and when the water pours out the hole stop filling grateful for views and advice cheers so matt that one puts you on the spot whales and pumps it does i had actually had the pleasure of meeting dave him and his wife came up to the shop and i was in the shop serving and it was my turn on the rotor and dave it was lovely to meet you and your wife and she did confess matt he's obsessed with you <laughs> Apparently he's a big fan. So, Dave, thanks for your question. Really appreciate it. We actually took the question to Bailey. And I'm pleased to tell you, Dave, that one of the directors at Bailey has helped us answer the question. I 
went through the question and thought, yes, I know the answer to this. But I thought I'm just going to double check uh, with Bailey on their view as well. So, Simon, thank you ever so much for answering this um, and helping me come back today with an answer. So firstly, why do Bailey use this whale fitting my view would be that bailey's heritage is in caravans and these have always been prolific in caravans and they've been building caravans for gosh 40 odd years so i think that's why they use this fitting uh, on the water system because it's easy for them to do that european manufacturers tend to have a hole with a cap on that you just poke the hose in um, and the hose falls out and you know water goes everywhere this does stop you doing that to fill it from a tap the adamo does come bailey confirmed that it does come with the whale aqua source kit it's a the little square uh, whale connector that goes into the wall of the motorhome and then a hose and a screw fixing that goes on the tap so you can fill it from a tap use it with food grade hose that comes with the motorhome you if you lose that uh, or it gets stolen you can buy them we sell them at that leisure shop as well the people particularly who bought a caravan that hasn't come with that little fixing kit why is there an external pump it means that you could draw water out of say an aqua roll so again back to the caravan heritage so some kind of water container you could suck water out of that into the motorhome tank so if you're while camping you're off grid and you want to go and get water and bring it to the motorhome you can and you can then suck that water from that container into the motorhome now it doesn't come with that external pump that is something you would have to buy again we sell them in the shop uh, and it plugs into your well adapter so that's why they have that if you want to fill it without using this well attachment you can you would just get the hose from the tap and feed it straight into the water tank. If you open under the lounge area, you'll find the water tank, unscrew the top and pop the hose in the top and you could fill it that way. Hope that answers the question, Dave. There you go, Dave. Thanks very much for the question. Neil Westlake Guy says, we're looking to buy our first camper van, two adults, two cocker spaniels, for both short and long trips in the UK, Ireland and Europe. What advice do you have for manufacturers and converters? We don't want to make a bed each night. We love to walk and cycle on and off grid and explore lakes, coasts, forests and peaks. Wow, I'm coming with you. Sounds great, Neil. When are you going? (laughs) I would suggest if you don't want to make a bed up, then definitely look at a motorhome with a fixed bed. That's likely to give you a garage where you could put the bikes or a bike rack on the back if you're prepared to put them on the back of the motorhome. In terms of the dogs, I would definitely be looking at a motorhome with a bigger lounge area, giving room for the dogs to sprawl out, lie down, go to bed. And think about seatbelt numbers as well. There's four of you, basically. You possibly need four seatbelts so the dogs can be clipped in and therefore comply with the rules around travelling with dogs. You can, however buy a, a seatbelt attachment which has a carabiner on so you could clip that around your seatbelt in the front and attach the dog to that so if you're buying a motorhome with only two seatbelts that could work as well hope that has been a help to you neil kevin howes in paulborough and says hi matt i've just seen the podcast about payload and have a question relating to my chasson 79 eb we've just bought it and thought we'd get it weighed empty its mass in running order is 3150 kilograms it's got lots of items fitted as non-standard. We also want to take electric bikes. They're 32 kilograms each, food and clothes. So we thought about fitting a tow bar. Fiat VIN plate states 3,500 kilograms and 6,250 kilograms. But the Chausson plate only states 3,500 kilograms 
and three and a half thousand kilograms. No train weight. I have a C1 entitlement on my license, but my son doesn't. He wants to drive the motorhome. Do I need a VOSA inspection? I don't know what to do. Please advise. Now, that is a very technical question. It is. It is. So basically, he's got a very limited payload. So the difference between what the motorhome weighs almost empty and how much he can carry. So the first thing you've done there, Kevin, is you weighed yourself, your wife and the dog. A net weight, the curb weight on the mass in running order, would normally only include a full tank of diesel, no water uh, and the driver or an allocation for the driver. You've overloaded it for the point of trying to find the net payload. But what you're doing is very sensible. So you've discovered that it's got a payload of around 275 kilos and you're working out that that's just not enough. Now, you've mentioned about the VIN plate being three and a half and 6250 from Fiat. That is what it is. Why the show someone is three and a half, three and a half, I don't know. That could be an error, but they won't have taken away the train weight. So it could take a tow bar. Remember, that carries a weight uh, and you could tow the wife and the dog <laughs> or the bikes and stuff more the point um, so that's one solution but then you do remember have to remember that your son will have a, can only tow a train weight of three and a half tons so he would have to take a c1 license um, if you're going to upplate it or you're going to have to buy a different type of motorhome this is a such a massive topic isn't it we keep coming back to it payloads of motorhomes are a real issue and they're often insufficient for you know most motorhomes are often traveling down the road overweight we are actually going to do an episode with the specialists sv tech they've asked to come on the podcast and we're talking to them about doing an episode with them uh, in the future so stay tuned for that but i would definitely consider getting in touch with them before you get in touch with vosa they would be able to advise you on uh, what you could do to potentially upplate the motorhome but of course at the moment that would mean your son can't drive it but it's also worth noting that Parliament are due to review this C1 category and revoke it, potentially. Uh, Department for Transport have put a, are putting a case together. It's due to go to Parliament this year. We're trying to find out if it's been heard yet. Um, we've not any news yet. But potentially that would mean that we would go back to the old rules that we could all drive up to 7.5 tonnes as soon as we've passed our test. And yeah, with uh, this government's time running out, uh, we have to have a general election by November 2024. Don't hold your breath for this sort of legislation to be changed. Uh, they might drop it. Uh, what about his son just taking the test? Well, he could, yeah. That's going to cost a thousand pounds and cost really? him a week of his life. Yeah, probably. A thousand pounds? Yeah, that's what it cost. I mean, you can do it for a lower cost than that. One of our family did it for, I think it was about £500. But, you know, she went and coordinated all the bits of the test together so she could drive a horse box. But I would hang on. You say we're going to run out of time. The thing is, the towing rules changed so that people could get to drive an HGV with less resistance. There's already a rule that means if your vehicle is fully electric you can drive it at four and a quarter tons this is not widely reported we were talking about this on on a previous episode and people have commented i didn't know that so you know people say well with a battery at three and a half tons it's going to be overweight no if it's all electric it can be four two fifty that's already a government ruling so i think they are highly likely to uh, revoke this um and it will just mean that people can get in a seven and a half ton lorry 
and become a delivery driver without having to take a test. And with a shortage of lorry drivers, that's that's the agenda. Yeah, you make a good point. So fingers crossed. Uh, thanks, Kevin, uh, very much for that question. Uh, people want to get in touch with us. They want to see us on YouTube. Uh, what do they need to do, Matt? Just easily search Motorhome Matt on the internet and you'll find us on YouTube. You'll find all the podcast episodes on our website at motorhomemat.co.uk and you'll find us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok as Matt as well. Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Thank you.